The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate world. the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys are. All joined us uh, this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to uh, watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and there's two videos at the top of the screen. The one on the left is a Bradley show from yesterday afternoon, so you can watch that up until 3 o'clock Eastern today, at which time he'll be on. And since it's Saturday, he'll be on for two hours. So you can catch Bradley Dean right there. Uh, on the left side of the page at 3 o'clock live today. On the right side is where we're streaming. And um, if you, all you got to do is click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you got, and then in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see the Rumble icon. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. We are streaming to Rumble. Sons of Liberty Radio Live is the channel there. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll know when we're live out there. 
And then also on beforeitsnews.com, top of the page, dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty, and also a variety of my little public and private Facebook pages that they allow me to keep up for some unknown reason. I guess they're just wanting to see what we're going to say. They don't want to kick us completely off, so we're, we're still up on some of those. Um, and I think on Twitter, yes, Twitter is out there, the real Tim Brow. Don't put the N on it and put a 2 in its place. Uh, so the real Tim Brow too, you can go over there, you can catch that. Also, while you're at sonsoflibertymedia.com, right up under where we're streaming live, you can sign up for our email newsletter. Those go out between 7 and 8 o'clock in the evening. Uh, be sure to sign up for that. And also, if you want our ministry email, that goes out once a week on Saturdays. Go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. You'll see what's going on in the ministry, where we've been, uh, what we've been involved in. Uh, so be sure to sign up for that as well. And then if you'd like to help us stay out there doing the things we're doing on the internet, the radio, and among the people, there's a donate button at the top of the page, sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can click on that, make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And we really do appreciate you guys because we can't, we can't do and function and do the things that we do apart from your support. So thank you very much. Our store is also available. This week we're highlighting Bradley's uh, Deadlight Drum Pad. This is a metronome for drummers. So if you're a drummer, if you've got somebody in your family that's a drummer or something like that, you want to give them a really cool tool that they can use uh, to perfect their drumming. This is it, all right? 60 bucks is normally the donation. This week only through tonight at midnight, Saturday at midnight. Uh, you can get this for $20 off when you use a promo code DRUMS20. DRUMS and the number 20, all one word, that gets you $20 off, but that's only through tonight. Now, it's Saturday, and we've got, uh, we've got Kate with us as normal, but we've also got a special guest this morning. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let Kate introduce us to her new friend, Dr. Ali, here. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Whoops, we're, we're on the wrong thing there. <laughs> Sorry. Dr. Dr. Ali uh, uh, is a psychiatrist, and he he did work in the NHS. He has a he has a, a office um, on Harley Street, and he is all over speaking about you know the whole COVID and what's happened. Um, so I. Very, I was very humbled to receive an email from him because trust me, when you're in my position with a big target on my back, when I when I get an email from somebody who is um, of the medical profession, it's always a great honor. And we've had um, a lot of chats over the last uh, few days. Today we chatted, and and we're kind of, so kind of coming from the same place, which is is very interesting. I've never seen a brain walk into the doctor's surgery on its own. It's generally attached to the rest of one's body. And um, our brain is the um, consistency of, of soft butter encased in a hard, bony structure. And we should be guarding it very carefully with um, 100 billion uh, brain cells, each with 10,000 connections. It's quite interesting. It's only about 2% of your body weight, and yet 20 to 30% of your calorie intake, that's up to about a third, goes to your brain. And there's nothing else in, in God's wonderful universe, the creation that matches it. It's so fantastic. And um, I, I'm going down this because I don't want to miss, you know me, I like my bullet points. And I know that everyone says that I'm fattest, so I'm going to really like this one. The fatter <laughs> you are, the smaller your brain gets. That in itself should melt away any fat from your rear end 
um, because you really want to guard your brain. Dementia begins a good 30 years before you even know. And we're seeing an exponential increase in, in uh, brain disorders. And um, I was looking at something else. 70% of those that um, go through the process of application in the, the American military are declined. And the main reason for that is because they're overweight. And so that's quite interesting. Um, Microsoft did a study and said that um, our attention span now is about eight seconds and a goldfish is nine seconds, um, which is quite interesting. Our, our thoughts travel at approximately 268 miles per hour. And remember the previous shows we've done on, you know, our DNA, 93% of its function is light and sound transmission and reception. So forget about COVID, forget about climate change, forget about every other thing they've thrown at us. And Dr. Ali is, is quite a bit younger than me, hard to see, but anyway, he is. Um, and I remember I was talking to my um, armadillo crocodilo mama, who is on loads of drugs, won't listen. But she was talking about how she was terrorized when we were young. And I remember it, that there was going to be a nuclear war and we all received leaflets through our door and we would have advertisements. That's what they were advertising on the TV to terrorize you. And they were telling us to, in the event of a nuclear bomb, to get under our stairs and put the mattress in front of the door. Not, I'm not sure what that was going to do. So they're terrorizing us. But forget all of that. The war was started long ago for the very thing that they want which is our brain. And this is about our brain because we know all about the four avatars and Jeff Bezos and what they want. They started it decades ago with, with dirty food, dirty water, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, EMF. And all of these things then lead to the very disease that they then give us pharmaceutical drugs for. And I'm sure Dr. Ali will, Ali will tell you that a lot of these pharma drugs have fluoride in them. And then if we look at, I've mentioned him before, Hermann P. Schwann, who worked for the Third Reich uh, during the Second World War and then was spirited out, I believe, with the 1600 that went to America after the war under Operation Paperclip. He looked at how, um, water, uh, how water and blood was affected by radar. Now, if you look at some of the drugs that can, can destroy us is, is statin drugs, which they put virtually everybody on. And then that blocks your cholesterol. Your brain needs fat. It needs your cholesterol. All of this is all interconnected. The gut-brain link. I, I love when the people just say it's just your brain. What happens when you drink alcohol? You get drunk. It's called, you know, the, the, it's called spirits for a reason. Uh, the, devil's, the devil's poison. And when you drink it, it affects your brain. We know that um, the front part of our brain, responsible for tension, tact, and tenacity of endeavor, that's our ability to focus on a task so that we can learn, our ability to be socially aware so that we, we can fit into society. We're not lone creatures. Um, it affects that. It turns it down. And, and you see this by when you scan, well, well, what does that? All the excitotoxins, the MSG that they put in foods, monosodium glutamate, every shot that you have of that destroys brain cells. And then you get this area around it of destruction, this penumbra, which, so you're, you're being assaulted with that constantly. They even put it in baby foods, all these commercial baby foods. Then you have aspartame, 
which affects the electrical impulses. And that's converted to wood alcohol and formaldehyde in the body. You keep drinking Diet Coke and you can literally drop dead on the spot. And only really savvy um, pathologists are finding that. The microglia in our brain, when you, you, when you hit those with aluminium and mercury, it causes them to inflame right down our entire central nervous system. And that continues squirting flu shots up children's noses where you have the olfactory nerve up to the front of brain causes inflammation. It's all connected. They've had this war on us. And then what do they do when they've really destroyed your brain? They send you to a psychiatrist and they don't actually, you sit there and they're not like Dr. Ali, I can assure you, there's very few like him. Very, very few, because I don't like most of them. And you go in and they say, you know, tell me about it. They don't actually look at your brain, most of these. And there's been many anomalies found with very savvy psychiatrists who have sent their patients to look at scans of the brain. And they found anomalies that when corrected, these patients have actually gone back to living a very normal life with no problems and not being on any drugs. So it, the, the, the whole... Um, as Dr. Ali will tell you, you know, you, they know very little about the brain and the pineal gland. And we know that they calcify this with, with the fluoride and then they put the glyphosate in and all oh, the rest we've talked about on the show. I'm not going to go over it again. But that whole connection with one's higher self, with our creator, with our Lord, with Yahweh, um, there has been talk that we don't even store our memories in the brain. We store them in the iCloud. So what's going on with these plaques all over the brain? It's stopping that transmission that 93% transmit and receive. So I, I'm not going to talk about it anymore because you know me, I'll rattle on forever. And I just <laughs> want to say, um, when you learn, constantly learn, you're developing new neuropathways. The minute you stop learning, like when people retire, your brain starts to just shrink and die. So today I went to find, uh, went to use my super duper all singing, all dancing juicer. And part of it was missing. And I was like, I haven't even bought it that long because I was making my grapefruit, lemon, turmeric, ginger, fresh tea that you all like to see me with. It's anti-inflammatory. So I had to backtrack. When did I last use that juicer? And it was three days ago. Then I thought, oh, has the dustbin man taken it? No, it was the green dustbin day this week. And then I thought, how many days down will those bags be? Because those skins I don't put in my organic compost bin because they don't degrade. So after the show, I've got to don my marigolds and go through the garbage. <laughs> we need, the we need video of, of that, please. Juicer. But the point being, <laughs> I was distracted. But do you see when your brain is sharp, you can backtrack very easily. You can backtrack. You can find memories. And uh, you have to guard your brain. Quit, quit heading things. Quit banging your head. My brother-in-law died age 34. Because he fell down the stairs, he had one injury at the back of his head, and he had contra injuries, a load of mush at the front of his head. They removed his frontal lobes. He would have never been the same, one frontal lobe, the same guy again. He ended up having just multiple seizures, and, and he died. And, you know, just from, and I, I researched, there was at the time 3,000 deaths every year from falling down the stairs in the UK. Uh, but we don't close the country down. We don't tell everyone, get rid of your stairs in your house. Stairs are banned. Oh, no, we don't do that because that's not convict. So your brain is fantastic. And I'd now like to go over. Dr. Ali, the floor is yours. 
Tell us everything you know. We want to know. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. What, what can I say? What a what an introduction. I, I don't think there's many introductions that can beat that. Um, I, you know, th thank you for having me on. It's it's a great pleasure and honour to be uh, in front of you all today from across the pond, and it's really been a whirlwind from uh, a few days ago where I had my first first words with with Kate, and then ne next thing I know, I've been whisked whisked away virtually and in front of here in front of you all here today so um yeah it is a great honor and, and a privilege to be able to to talk to you today and really you know i guess i come with just a very simple message and i think i see it as a message of hope really that people can reclaim agency around your health your minds and your lives and when you do that it's very empowering and it allows you to make decisions and to see the world in a way that if your brain is unhealthy, if your brain is poorly, you're not able to do. Uh, and you kind of get, you, you become a part of uh, an extra in someone else's film rather than the main actor or actress in your own film. Uh, and I think in my, uh, in my understanding is that, you know, life is a journey to try and, you know, reclaim, you know, th that role to, to continue or to become the, the leading actor or actress in your life um and you know it's some people you know it, it may be that they have uh, famous parents and then they, it's easy for them to be the lead lead actors or actresses uh, but for most of us you know, we have to work at it and it's a process and it's an endeavor um and it requires effort discomfort and all those things uh but the, the positive side of that is for people that kind of put into your health into your brain you get more than you can imagine back, um, and that's really, um, you know, my my approach to um, medicine, to health, to the, all the patients that I work with. Um, and really, I wasn't able to do ten percent of that when I was working in the NHS because the NHS, you know, as as you know, it does have flaws, it does have positive things, and I, you know, I don't like to rubbish things completely because I think there's. Uh, good that can come out of most things, even though uh, it may stand for um, uh, the institution may may stand for something that is um, devoid of ethics, devoid of integrity, and that's going to be my my experience. But there's a lot of good people that work in healthcare uh, and a lot of benefit that people get. But at the moment, it's not good enough, um, and uh, that's always a first step. You know, are you good enough? Are the institutions is our society, is it good enough? Because it's not about being perfect. So, you know, it just wasn't good enough. And on top of the whole COVID uh, issues, you know, I realised that the people around me and the people above me you know, didn't really have integrity, didn't really work to medical ethics, didn't really put the, uh, the patient that they have this trust for and they put on a pedestal um, that they weren't actually um, rising to the challenge and, and acting in a way that was responsible. Um, so it, it, it was very ugly, and um, you know, I took a, I took a stand and said, "Look, I can't work here anymore. You know, I'm not going to take this job." But on top of that, you know, I, I can't work here anymore, and it's really been very, very liberating. Uh, a bit daunting, but liberating just to go off and, and, and do your own thing. But you know, it's really allowed me to, to to refine and to try to understand, um, you know, what things help people. Doctor um, Ali, can I just ask, do you do you see? Hang on a sec. Do you see? <laughs> The whole history of psychiatry, because I I read a very interesting uh, book, maybe even nearly a decade ago now, about a, a psychiatrist, a doctor who he noticed that 
when he took his patients off grains, all of their symptoms of hebephrenic, catatonic, simple and paranoid schizophrenia began to diminish. And he was able to take them off their medication. Now, when he took this, obviously, to the board, uh, the same thing happened. Uh, he almost lost his license, was threatened with losing his job and get these patients back on this medication immediately because uh, mental health makes a huge amount of money for pharma. Um, when you entered your career in, in psychiatry, what was that what was your driving? And, and listen, we all know what our parents expect. But actually, my parents didn't expect anything with me. My dad was a postman. But we know, I mean, your family history. And we I'm going to state the obvious here. You know, your heritage is from Pakistan. And it's a big thing in Pakistan. It's the same as it is in Iran and India. And you, if your children are born and you're graced with children, they only have three career choices. They've got to be a doctor, an engineer, or a lawyer. <laughs> Pretty much. And if you've got all three of those in the family... You've done a good job. So um, what made you choose to be a doctor and to choose psychiatry? Um, so, uh, you're, you're right. There's, there's this kind of inherent pressures or expectations in uh, a, lot, a lot of immigrant um, kind of uh, families that, you know, they hold certain professions in high esteem. And uh, I'm one of five um, and I'm the only doctor in the in the family in that sense. Um, so I, I kind of often think, well, what was it about me? And you know, I think it's difficult to pinpoint. I think I've always had a sense of um, kind of justice, a sense of doing the right thing, uh, and a sense of the other um, in a way that's fulfilling. And I trace it back to how I was at school and primary school, and you know, didn't like people who, who were bullies or people who were trying to take advantage of others. It was just. Not something that I had to think about, but something, I guess, kind of inherent, God-given in a way, you know, these things you can't learn or train. And um, so had these Like a vocation. Of... You yeah. have a vocation to, to serve. We like that. We like yeah, that. Don't... <laughs> well, that, that. That sounds much more interesting. So when you came in, when you came in, um, and as the time has gone on, was there a turning point or was it before COVID? Was there any time where you, where you thought, this is not really how I viewed it? I mean, for me, uh, I started to see it very early on. I've always been a bit of a, a one for a whistleblower, but um, certainly when I got cancer, the, um, it was like taking the lid off Pandora's box and throwing some dynamite in. So it all came out very quick. And, and um, it was very sad at the time, but, but also um, and I felt very cheated and, and uh, but it was it was to lead me on a different path. Do you was there a point when you saw that? Well, I went into psychiatry because I enjoyed people and spending time with people and trying. I always see it as a privilege to to allow people to open up and for you to see their life course and for them to share information about themselves that they just wouldn't ordinarily. And it's really hard for a lot of people to do that. Those so sort. So as a, as a privilege to be able to connect with people on a real human level. And I couldn't see any other specialty in medicine that afforded you the time or the expectation to do that on some level. Um, but over the course of my career, certainly you see limitations um, that people aren't really cured. Uh, they may have some improvement in symptoms, uh, but most people that you come across are kind of given this, you have a chronic condition, it's a chronic depression or it's a chronic psychosis was bipolar you have for life um and I, I guess it was an internal conflict all the way that on one hand you're trying to help people you're trying to cure people but we don't really use that terminology and 
because we're trained in a certain way that these are treatments. So you are treating someone's illness after you diagnose it. So you're doing the right thing. So it's a type of conditioning that we have as doctors is that, you know, we're doing the treatment, we're doing what we can do. Um, so to think that to even conceive that there's something different out there, you know, doctors are very conditioned, probably one of the most conditioned professionals out there. Uh, so you can't even think of anything different. Um, and, and really, I guess it's part of a personal journey that I saw my senior colleagues around me, uh, just, you know, very, very bright people, but very, very unhappy. And I said, well, I don't want a piece of this. You know, I need to do something different. And you kind of go on a journey and you take one step. And, and I see this as a as a life rule. And it's something that I use for the like, people that I work with at the moment. You take that step and then other doors will open. And it's a domino effect. But you have to be brave enough to take that step. So, um, you know, once you scratch the surface, you find out that there's you know, different treatments, different therapies, different people. And it just kind of opens up a whole new world. And I, I guess there have been, you know, a lot of American uh, physicians uh, that have been inspirational and continue to be Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. Sherry Rogers. So these are all people that uh, I've been inspired by. Uh, some of them I consult with for some of my patients, I've read the books, watch podcasts, and really their, their way of understanding health has really uh, opened my mind up uh, to that and my practice. Um, and I guess that's kind of, I guess it wasn't a sudden event. I guess it was a gradual process um, in that way for me. Do you, do Can you, I ask you, a question in here? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but let me ask a question. You know, one of the things we talked about with Katie yesterday was the term government. And govern means to control, and then mint was for the mind. And when you're saying treatment, I'm like, okay, there's something with the mind there. And when I look up uh, Webster's 1828, it says that to treat is to handle or to manage. Literally, to, it would be to handle or manage the mind. Um, and so when you're saying that the people are stuck in this, I think Dr. Kaufman said that the doctors had been indoctrinated. And mm -hmm. so they, it's hard for them to think outside of whatever they've been taught. They have to unlearn to learn. I think that's what you're getting at. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm kind of curious. That was, that was, that was kind of my question. When you're in the uh, NHS, you're, were, do you think there were people who knew better but wouldn't do better? Do you think there were those people that were like that? Or do you think all of them were just indoctrinated to think the same way and they just they couldn't help themselves because that's the way they were trained to think? Uh, that's a fantastic question. I think that most people are indoctrinated um, uh, to a level that they can't even think of anything outside of doing what you're told. Uh, it's a very hierarchical structure that we have in the NHS. You know your role, you do what you're told. However, I think everyone still has agency. So if, if you, you know, it's about self-reflection. I think if you're reflecting enough and caring enough about what you're doing, you, you need to be asking yourself those questions. Uh, and if you're not, I think that's a kind of a negligence on the individual's behalf. So I think the, the ignorance isn't enough to justify um, uh, the outcome of, of not putting your patients first and not doing the right thing. I think it's part of it, but it's a bit more comp complex than that. But on the whole, I think people feel as though they're doing the right thing. And a lot of people are doing good things. But from a... Um, from a top-down perspective, the higher you go in these structures, people are there because it's their career. The top people want to get into higher positions, and I've seen that. The people, my immediate seniors, they're going on to bigger and better things. Uh, people that I once looked up to, but now, you know, I, you know, I 
there's no no respect there at all. Uh, it's a career game. Uh, it's a game. It's the same games that you that are played out in every work situation. And ultimately, people are there because it's their job, and they have to pay the mortgage. They have to feed the kids. Uh, and I think we shouldn't put doctors on pedestals in a way that we have done because they're not there. Idolatry. For, 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 for any other reason that anyone else is there at their job, really. It becomes a job. And, um, you know, there's a lot of discontentment in the NHS through employ- uh, 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 people that work there. But it's a job. So you just do it and you, sh- and you be quiet and you get on with it. And, and that's the culture there. And when you stand out, uh, when you ask the questions, you're pretty much ignored. Uh, and then when you make it difficult for them, they make it a bit, bit difficult for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a whole story around that kind of in, in my experience. We can maybe go into one day. But, um, yeah, so I think the, the forces that are there are probably pretty much there in, in most big institutions. Uh, I think there's a personal responsibility that people are neglecting. Uh, but there's also a high level of conditioning, which I don't think is enough to take away someone's responsibility about the ethics and the integrity um, uh, of, 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 the, of the service that we're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Um, But very, very well said. I I totally agree with that. And um, what what I say constantly is that doctors and nurses don't realize that when they break the law and they are breaking their oaths and laws are being broken, laws against crimes against humanity being committed and history tells us what happens. We can rely on history. It's already happened. Um, many doctors and nurses, they don't realise that they will stand alone under the Rome Statute. There won't be the GMC behind them or the NMC. Uh, none of this will be behind them. I interviewed Dr. Bob Gill, who's, uh, please do everyone go and watch it, the great NHS heist, because your NHS um, is not what you think it is. And also do read the 21-22 NHS mandate. Um, I think it's, it's, very, it's very interesting to talk about that they see it as it's a career it's it's a business and doctors forget actually that that whole idolatry that they do indeed work for us um they are servants they're serving and and i always say this to people you know when you go in you walk in authority you're not in there just to accept what they tell you it's it's a it's a contract you're entering with them and both parties have the right to to state what they would like and um at the top of the nhs they they do indeed I've seen the document. I've seen that chart, uh, which when a, when a doctor does whistleblow, and we do have evidence of this, there's a high percentage of doctors that whistleblow that commit suicide. And I'm sure Dr. Ali will testify, you know, this is, it does happen or they attempt suicide. I met a nurse who, who had whistleblown on bullying. And what happened to her? She lost her marriage. She lost her home. Uh, she lost her job. She lost her mind. She turned to alcohol. She's back now and took her years to get herself back together. But the pressure that was put on her was phenomenal. So, I, I, you know, when, when, when we talk about that these uh, doctors and nurses in this position, they still do, do have a duty. Well, maybe they've lost their minds and they can't hide behind that. And maybe they should. Well, they actually, they do. One of the first things they do with whistleblowers, as we saw with Dr. Cartland, Dr. Dave Cartland, who we've had on, who's a great guy, they sent him for an assessment. That's the first thing they do. And we know that in times of tyranny, one of the first things through history that they do is they change the mental 
health rules on who gets uh, sectioned. It's no longer three psychiatrists, I believe. It's only one doctor. I mean, if that doesn't leave it open for some dirty underhand tactics, which we saw with the medical lawyer uh, in the very first few months of lockdown, I believe it was in Germany, she was imprisoned. Um, she'd won many cases, and the first thing they did was imprisoned her uh, in, a, in a psychiatric hospital and, and sectioned her. Dreadful. So um, I think that is happening. But what I, I like when I've spoken to Dr. Ali, and I'd like you to tell us more about that, we talked about, you know, all of these different platforms now that are still keeping everyone in this perpetual state of anxiety. You know, you, what do most people do? They wake up. I've, incidentally, I've sent you um, Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That's in scripture. Everything's in scripture, even about your food, even about your water. Everything's in there. But um, what's happening is everybody wakes up. The first thing they do is they reach aside for their umbilical cord, their phone, because they can't be without it because their life depends on it. Um, and everyone's like this. And they've had their Wi-Fi on all night and they've been streaming this EMF straight through their brain. Because it does tell you in your phone, folks, as you know, I've gone through that, how far away it should be from you. And then they start looking on all these platforms, um, all of these different um, big names. And it's in that same hamster wheel, keeping us focused over here instead of living. And it was Neil Goddard, uh, Neville Goddard, sorry. I really like Neville Goddard. He talks about we're all born into the same reality, but the outcome is dependent on what we think. And this is where I really liked Dr. Ali because he said this. I've kind of switched off from a lot of it now and I'm carrying on going forward with solutions for myself, for my family, bought a rocket stove, getting a log burner put in, um, growing my own stuff. But I'm quite enjoying that. And Dr. Ali was he actually said this to me without any prompts. So could you talk more about that, about what you see with that as well, your personal experience for our mental health? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's like we're in a, in a pressure cooker situation. People have highly stressful lives, even if they even if they're not doing highly stressful jobs. It's just life is very stressful. Um, and. You know, when you're under a heightened state of anxiety, whether it's stress or whether it's something that's something traumatic that's happened to you, um, your your rational mind goes offline. Um, so you're less able to think and to take a step back. And so you're acting more on instinct and you're a bit more susceptible to being influenced in that state. Uh, and we're given lots of solutions now. We're given solutions of, well, you've got your phone, you've got your Netflix, you've got your Uber, you know, Uber Eats, you've got all these uh Fast food uh, deliveries that could come straight to your home. You're shopping straight to your home. We're really given the answer that you know, hide away from society, be afraid, um, and you know you're going to be safe in your own company. Um, but all those things where we um, lose the ability uh, to think that our health and our future is in our hands, and when we lose the ability to think that. It's dependent upon the society and the people in our lives. And it's dependent upon the things that we do. When we lose um, uh, the agency, that we put the responsibility on someone else or something else or our government or our treatment, you know, then, then I think you know, we're in big trouble. Amen. Um, Amen. That's right. The, the alternative is trying to take positive steps 
um, on the basis that actually it's all in my hands. It's all in my hands. You know, God created me to, to live and to serve. Um, there's no intermediary here. So we are a lot more powerful, infinitely more powerful than what we're being told around us. You know, we don't actually need anyone or anything else, any corporation, any industry. Um, we can take the good from, you know, when it's convenient, when we want. It's not about, um, you know, rubbishing everything. But inherently, you know, the power is within, within us. And when you start taking steps of having healthy habits, healthy routines in your life, so it starts from the basic, a bit more mundane things like your sleep, your eat, um, and, you know, how you spend your time. All these things affect your brain. All these things affect your gut. Um, and you start to feel better, think clearer, be healthier. And actually, people who have better brains in terms of the health you know, have happier and materially more wealthy in their lives. You're just a lot more successful in whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and that's really my message to the people that I work with uh, and, and your audience that you know, don't be afraid. You, know, you can do things by yourself to reclaim your health, your brain, your mind, your soul. Um, and really, the, the, the sky's the limit. You know, no one can really get in your way uh, and you become less afraid. Yeah. Dr. Ali, I want to want to chime in with one thing just to top off what Kate was saying a minute ago, uh, because the Bible does tell us about um, our thinking. I mean, you were making mention of, of our, what we drink or what we eat. You know, Paul says that whatever we do, what the mundane things, eating or drinking, we do for the glory of God. And then there's this passage out of Philippians <clears throat> that I really love. Let your moderation be made known unto all men. This is from Philippians chapter 4. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We're to be thankful. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, not false, whatsoever things are honest, not dishonest, whatsoever things are just, not unjust, whatsoever things are pure, not impure, and, and the line goes down, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And boy, we're inundated with thinking the direct opposite of what God said we should do, which I think is not only healthy for our spirits, it's helpful, healthy for our bodies. But I wanted to ask you something to follow up the question that I asked you when you, when you answered. There's a story in the Bible about a lady who had an issue of blood for many years. She couldn't get rid of it. And the Bible specifically says she spent all she had on doctors. <laughs> That's what she had done. All her money went to doctors, and none of them could help her. But she believed that if she could touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she would be healed. And when she, when she did, she was instantly healed uh, of, of what had went on. I, I, somehow I, I, I'm hearing what you gave in your answer the same thing. Many of the people who are in the health pro profession and I don't know what's going on with my camera here, but what they're in the health profession, uh, they end up making it more about, oh, it's this slavish duty, but I'm making a lot of money, so I'm going to keep doing it. And no longer is it about something they enjoy serving the people they're, they're working with, but it's this, I don't know, I don't want to say duty because that's not, that's not a good word for it, but it, it's this it's slavishness to the system, so to speak. 
And they have no need to think outside of what their indoctrination is because all they got to do is say, you got this symptom, you got this symptom. Well, here's this prescription over here. We'll send you that. Am I missing something in that? Or is that what really is driving many of the people, not only in the NHS, but I would say around the world, even here in America? I think you're, you're, you're spot on, really. We just have to be able to take a step back and say, well, how do things work? How do people work? How do institutions work? And I think irrespective of whether it's a healthcare institution or a financial situation, or even a lot of religious institutions, the hierarchy and the dynamics that play out psychologically, uh, depending on where you are at the level of the pyramid, is the same. So I, th I think in medicine, we just have to stop pretending that it's any different. And you know, for me, there's no judgment on that. I think you know, people are people. You know, but we're all really not so dissimilar. And uh, we respect people who go out, earn a living in a way that's uh, not breaking any laws, um, in a way that's not harming people intentionally, um, and you know, providing for their family and being good role models. And in, in healthcare, I think there's a pretense that somehow doctors are, um, are different or special. Um, and it's just not the case. And it's not a judgment, it's not a moral judgment. We're just the same as everyone else. You know, I think we just should be treated the same as everyone else. And and, and just going back to your point about a very nice scripture that you that you read out. Um, you know, what I'm taking what I take from that that story about the lady who um who wasn't treated wasn't helped by doctors and her belief that you know if she if she if she touched garment of Jesus, she'd be healed. It is just that power of the mind and the power of belief. Uh, and a cousin of belief is hope. And what I found in pretty much everyone that has benefited from, from, from working with me is that, that hope. It's the thing that I, you need to have first. It's that core ingredient. If people don't have hope, then it's really difficult to, for change. Uh, and hope is part of your belief system. If you believe there can be a better world, or that you can do better, uh, or you can achieve whatever you want. It has to start from there. You have the hope and the belief, and then the action comes after that. It doesn't happen the other way around. So in medicine, it's kind of inverted. It's like, well, take this. You're doing the action. You know, take this drug, uh, and then the change will come after that. Then you will believe it. Uh, but the reality is, is very different. You need to instill the hope, and the belief is the thing that will take you through. And it's demonstrable throughout uh, you know, all pharmaceutical medications is that there's this um, term that we have called the placebo effect, um, where you can take, you're told that you're taking a drug that they're trying to introduce into the market. Um, and, you know, it's really just a smarty. But you start to get clinical benefit from taking a smarty just because you had the belief. Now, in medicine, it's used as a dirty term. Oh, it's pl just placebo. Um, but really, I take it in a very different perspective. Is that I see that as the power of the mind and the power of belief. Isn't that and what you, I was talking about with treatment, managing I, the mind? I I think you're you're, you're spot on, and I've never really seen uh, looked at that word in that way before. Uh, but I think it makes it makes a lot of sense um, that your mind comes first, and your belief, um, and everything else comes afterwards. If you think. For most people, that this treatment isn't going to work, and we've seen this. The studies have shown this. That if you if you have uh, if you don't believe what you're doing, or it's the other way around, really. If you have 
belief in what you're doing is helping, you have better outcomes than people who don't have that belief. And if we take a, a bigger lens on that, um, people who have God in their lives you know, have, when we look at mental health outcomes across the board, better mental health outcomes. Um, so it, it's something that you know, we just can't ignore, but we are ignoring, you know, in, in medicine. Because that's about um, you talking about, you know, that that's famous, isn't it? Our, our helmet of salvation is our faith and hope and the devil uses fear and prejudice. And um, and all of that, um, you know, when I had cancer 10 and a half years ago, I never, ever thought that I was going to die apart from once when I went to see a crooked doctor. And that soon I went out the window. As soon as I sacked the oncologist as well, that was a great moment, um, uh, you know, because I knew more than him. Um yeah, I, I never believed I would die, not once, and I haven't. And just before, in case he moves, brain health. Dr. Ali talked about sleeping, eating the right foods. I know you all love him. There is fat Dave. There he is. That He is not following that advice right He's there. On his, that's the cat and dog sofa, so don't anyone tell me it's scruffy. We know it's the cat and dog sofa. Fat Dave, let me tell you, he never goes far from the food bowl. He can hear a can of evaporated milk about 500 yards that cat can hear it from anywhere he's had his breakfast and he had a wash he went outside in a bit of sunshine had a kip outside getting his vitamin d straight down now he's on the sofa having another siesta nothing will wake that cat other than the next food that might be coming and uh, he doesn't care about anything he doesn't care that the woman up the road died so that means her two cats that get on his nerve will be moving um you know this is he's happy he's a happy chap and, um, you know, we have to, when we talk about eating clean foods, we're talking about foods that look like you've pulled them off a tree, off a bush, out the ground. Uh, it has to look like, I, I don't know where a box of Kellogg's cornflakes grows. I've never seen that tree. Um, and, and also, you know, if you've slaughtered it, if, if you're going to eat meat, is it, is it ethically sourced? Remember, cellular memory. It's full of adrenaline if it's gone in a truck miles away everywhere to get to where it needs to be. And it's been slaughtered in a horrific way. Uh, we, we, we're terrible for talking about halal meat. Oh, it's terrible. They never kill the mother and calf in the same day. It's a clean kill. We're, we're the worst, our industry. So let's not criticize other industries. And I don't even eat meat. But um, so and also, you know, are we um, are we are we sitting with our family and our loved ones when we eat our food or have we got the idiot's lantern on in the corner of the room, the TV, watching the latest dross that's coming out of these soaps? I don't have a telly, uh, television. Um, I don't even listen to the garbage that comes out the radio. And, um, you know, alcohol, um, you've got to think about even alcohol that you're having. And I know you like your Jack Daniels, Tim, but that's OK. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows, you know, I can't, a glass of port and I'm under the table. So I don't really, it's very rare that I would drink. But we've got to think about all these things, our Wi-Fi, so clean food, uh, clean water. We don't want to have fluoride, chlorine, bromine, all your fire retardants. That lovely new car smell is going to push the iodine from your thyroid gland. We know that the Wi-Fi opens the blood-brain barrier. Just switch it off. We, we can't get away from toxins completely, but we can limit them. And then, as Dr. Ali said, the most important thing is, is our thoughts. They're like boomerangs. Yes. Trust me. If you're thinking ill of someone, oh, that's going to come right back. If you're jealous and mean and bitchy and resentful, that's what you're going to get back. 
if you're always walking in authority with a smile on your face, boy, do your haters hate you even more. I haven't even witnessed that one. I'm, I can watch them all in my rear view mirror. They can watch me as I rise. Um, but, I, but, you know, that's not what I'm about. I just want to go. So the hate is going to hate. But, you know, you've got you've to get all of it. And what's the most important thing that makes our telomeres, stops us aging? It, those telomeres, every time our cell divides, it snap off. It's not your food and environment that affects them the most. It's our emotions. Do we feel loved? Do we feel, do we feel like we're accepted? And, um, you know, I've had daughter number one on the blower this morning. And she's hard work at the moment. <laughs> yeah, my other, so we have to look at how we manage families as well and, um, try, and try and be forgiving. Try and forgive. Because when we do things that are bad, we don't, we don't feel good. That's where it keeps us awake at night when we've, mm. we've had that argument. Never sleep on a bad, a bad thought. Never, yeah. never, never. Because yeah. it, it's like a spike. Dr. Ali, I got another question I want to ask you because Kate had sent me some stuff here. Uh, <clears throat> there's, there's, has been over the past couple of years, not only in, in you guys' country, but over here in the States too, uh, this coercion uh, to take these shots that they fraudulently call vaccines. And does some of that coercion and the people submitting to that, that, that does that go back to this indoctrination? Does that go back to this thinking in your mind uh, of what we were talking about before, that people are willing to submit to that because, well, i got to keep my job. It's not about whether it works. It's not about whether it's damaging to people, whether it's really been tested or, or any of this other. It's i got to take it for my job. Uh, do you think there's the, the coercion that's going on there is, is working or it's it's – or the, the people submitting to it is, is feeding off of that kind of thinking? So I think that the coercion is certainly there, and it was attempted on a, a massive scale where they wanted every single employee of the NHS to take the jabs. Um, and a lot of people did. Uh, a lot of people held out for as long as they could. And I remember having a discussion with uh, the chief medical officer, the most senior doctor in our NHS trust, um, the, you know, the NHS in England is split into different trusts in different areas. So just one part of the NHS. Um, and he was, it was really disgusting what, what, what he was saying. He was reveling in the fact that the closer that we were getting to this deadline, that, that more people were taking the jab. Uh, and I said to him, I said, you know, it's been over a year that this thing has come out. And why do you think people are taking it now? Is it because they're doing something that they don't want to do? And it just didn't occur to him. He just really didn't care. You know, he was careless. And all he's bothered about are the numbers and the percent and the figures so he can look good and his organization can look good and then they can get whatever financial uh, reward there is attached to that. And essentially, that's, that summarizes a lot of medicine in terms of the policies that are driven. Um, but, but, but I think there's, a, there's an element, Tim, before the coercion, um, with the way that the doctors are trained, we'd like to think that our doctors um, have are free thinkers, uh, have independent thought, are able to find new solutions to old problems. Uh, but that's unfortunately just a, a fantasy and a myth. Uh, in medicine, uh, when you train through medical school, any kind of creativity, any ambitions, any thinking outside the box really gets uh, drummed out of you. Uh, and by the end of it, you know, you're taught to do what you're told uh, and how to think 
and when to think really um and I, i'm still a lecturer at medical uh, london medical school and i work with students and i'm continuing that on um so i you know i've been through it myself and i'm also involved in that process now and again it's not a judgment it's just the way that it is doctors get taught about a certain way of thinking and a certain type of medicine but what they're also taught is that's the only way you can think um so when it comes to these jabs and something new you're already conditioned to believe authority and to follow authority because that's just the way it is um so so in many doctors mind they feel as though they're doing the right thing but what none of them do is go back to source material and to fulfill their own um um i think is a duty mm-hmm. to find out what they're being told is true and that's neglect and that's the, the neglect that i find difficult to accept because your your patients expect you to have done your due diligence before you say this is safe and effective absolutely yeah they're putting their they're putting their life in your hands exactly. and, is, and I, I don't think that there's any other profession out there where people come to you and expect that and you're what what you're doing is um you know it's i see it as a crime you know that's the biggest absolutely. I that's agree the biggest with that. crime on, on that level um that you 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 pretend you allow them to think that you're considerate and that you're a person of science you allow them to think that but in reality you're not um and it's a deception and that's my biggest bugbear of this whole pandemic and situation it's the role of doctors um because i know what doctors are like i know the psyche of doctors um and they've just not stood up at a time when it was time to stand up in the biggest and grandest stage of them all they allowed this to happen if doctors stood up and just did their job did what they say what it says on the tin they're just not doing it they did that none of this would have happened we wouldn't be sitting here talking about you know uh, you know a lot of these things if doctors Dr Ali that's very brave of you to say that what yeah. you've just said, that last sentence you've just said on air i'm going to get that as a clip um it's incredible because this is a boys club it is a boys club it doesn't matter what anyone says medicine uh when it came about uh, and with a dirty word i can't mention it freemasons everyone gets really touchy and <laughs> think to start tensing uh, it is a boys club it is an industry and i think for um um and and we can't as well we're not allowed to mention anything about um that there is in any way shape or form racism in medicine and there really is absolutely is yeah kate um, can you but- hold the thought we need to close out the show can you guys hang on sure. we'll go over just a little bit all right, we're going we're gonna to hold Kate and Dr. Ali on over. So if you want to catch us, go to sonsoflibertymedia.com, and you can watch the rest of the interview there. I've got a question that I want to ask about science, and I think uh, he's already demonstrated what that'll be, but I, I want him to answer for himself. Catch Bradley at 3 today for two hours. Be sure to get, with the, get together with the people of God this weekend. Uh, find them in your home. Find them in your community. Get together. Read the Word of God together. Worship the Lord together. And then we'll be back with you again on Monday morning, 6 a.m., bright and early, Lord willing. We'll talk to you then. See ya. Okay, want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And Kate, I'm going to let you finish, and then I want to to toss a question there to Dr. Ali. But go ahead and finish your thought that you had. Well, that's the first doctor I've heard who's put that together, consolidated it right down, and just said it. Because we... um, even as nurses, and, and people say, oh, they just make the beds. We do have a duty. It's in our code of conduct to stay abreast of all information. 
We can't hide behind that. And they are idolized. They are idolized. Even in the UK, oh, I'm a doctor. You get a doctor in front of your name. You know, I was even looking where I could buy one. You can call yourself whatever you like in this country. I'm called lots of names. But um, uh, so lots of them are not very favorable. Um, but, you know, we, people go in there with an element of trust. And a lot of the doctors, they like that power. There was a, a big meeting down in um, New Zealand where they noticed that there was, they knew there was a big problem. This is in the last, I think, seven or eight years. They knew there was a problem that doctors were coming into medicine now, not because it was a vocation, but they were coming in to do harm. And I don't mean they deliberately wanted to hurt somebody. I mean, they wanted to practice their craft. They wanted to do surgery. They wanted to do drugs. They wanted to do procedures. And we've talked about this. This is where you've lost that where you, you as the doctor live in your community and, you know, Bob the carpenter or the electrician, Eric the electrician, you know them, you know their wives, your, your children go to school with their children. So it's in your best interest to get them well and back to vitality because they are a piece of your community and it affects you. That's all gone with this great big sprawling industry. And I think it was, it's, it's very brave because it can have serious ramifications Dr. Ali, not only for his license with the corrupt GMC and the corrupt NMC as well, um, but also from colleagues who don't want their position rattled. So you can very much be ostracized. And it takes it takes a certain kind of person to, to don their full armor of God and go, you know what? I'm going to stand in integrity here. So hats off to you, Amen. Dr. Ali. Yes. If yeah. I'm, yeah. Well, hats I'm, off I'm to just- you. If I ever lose my mind, which I've yeah. been accused of, I'll be knocking on your door. Well, 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 thank you. But I think all I'm doing is really just talking about my experiences um, uh, and you know, just, just talking about it. it's not kind of I've heard this from so-and-so. It's just what happened to me. Um, and, you know, it's not about rubbishing anything entirely. It's just you know, there's parts of the health service which are doing tremendous help for people. But there's other parts of it which are just not fit for surface. Uh, up to the scratch and psychiatry the way we practice in the UK is really 20 30 40 years in the past um, uh, we're just relying on drugs that are 30 40 50 years old um, you know looking across the world looking at some of the uh, some of the American uh, doctors that I kind of look up to you know they're really kind of leap years ahead and it's still medicine and it's still science um, but it helps. It's helpful. And it's just really trying to, what I'm trying to do is kind of catch up and catch up with that. But um, relying on big institutions to change in that way, uh, I think is difficult. And I think that's a challenge with the NHS, that it's a big, funky situation. And I listened to the the, the interview you had with, uh, with Dr. Bob Gill. I know him, I know his work from before. And, you know, things are just not what we're told on a general life scale, but we can narrow it down to kind of healthcare. Things aren't what we're told and i think a lot of people find it difficult to accept that that perhaps there's aspects or en- entire parts of their lives uh, that are not how they believed it or believe it to be and it's too much for people some people to mm. take you spend 50 years believing a certain thing believing your government years. loves you there's one yeah the I government mean, loves you and they're for all the people there's the biggest that's worse yeah. than santa claus <laughs> and, and, and we can joke but you know it, it, it's so true, though. It's just too much for some people to take that this is just. And so then, you know, you, you, you listen and, you know, it's, you know, once you're in that trap, it's very difficult to get out. So, we, we were, you know, but if you use your mind, 
look after your brain you know you can do you know you can do your best not to fall into that trap or if you do to, to kind of get out uh, as soon as possible um but can you yeah, give us so, some top tips can you give us some uh top tips because i know i know because you told me <laughs> but you are um and and you can see dr ali's not fat at all um because i don't even need to hide it your brains are shrinking if you're fat we know that and um we've already said it and certainly um there was a it was reported on in a, in a mainstream media here a couple of years ago that they had a big problem in nursing because nurses were so obese and uh, it's it exponentially increases the risk of all disease it causes uh, a lot of sickness from work all these diseases and yet we rustle up the food for the patients which is atrocious under a pound a day what they give these patients to eat and then if they're old of course they just put the tray down and walk off the patients don't it doesn't even make it down the patient's throat a lot of patients starve in the nhs believe it or not um but the but the, the medics are eating garbage food and we see in the main foyers in our hospitals we've got the the other gangsters paradise because it's all linked that's why it's called in america the food and drug, drug administration food and drug um pretty much the same they have costa coffee in this country in every hospital foyer which has a uh, high fructose corn syrup in it your body, your body doesn't even recognize that um it has uh, dunking donuts it has mcdonald's that clown is very frightening um it has uh pizza domino's pizza covered in msg these are all in the foyers of our hospitals the big hospitals so you see the staff queuing for this garbage and the staff are fat the patients are fat and i don't know about america but in the uk it's it is quite entertaining you can go to the front of a hospital in the uk and what's very interesting is you see the patients in their sleeping gowns sometimes their hospital gowns with their iv stands their intravenous fluids having a cigarette outside at the front of the hospital <laughs> and it Gosh. is it, it, yeah, you'll see them outside having a, I was going to say a fag, but I know that gets your audiences into a frenzy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, all the connotations of smoking a homosexual, um, but that's what they call it in this country. It wasn't offensive. Um, but you see this at the front of the hospital. And then I was at a service station last week, you know, we are on the motorway and a paramedic got out of his ambulance to have a cigarette. And this paramedic, I thought I was going to have to be doing CPR on him. He was rotund, squeezed into this zip-up green suit. It was like a well-stuffed Chesterfield sofa. <laughs> and But this is a healthcare professional. So, Dr. Ali, I know that there are a lot of little stalker nurses watch this. So for all you stalkers, 15 gins, Joe, you know who you are. Um, you shouldn't be having that amount of alcohol in its spirits. And you are a nurse. Um they watch these shows so please give us what you think people can do today you know hone it in a little bit what kind of foods and e even we talk about you know essential amino acids what can people do that they can afford to do that's going to make that change today so the so the cheapest thing um is uh taking out stuff so if we look at health the health paradigm why do people get sick um if we look at the brain in particular, uh, it's, it's one of only two things, really. I think the, either the brain is not getting enough of the nutrients that it needs to work well, and or uh, there's too many toxins there that are causing inflammation and are stopping 
certain parts of it from working the way that it should. And I don't think there's any other real reason for that. You could have kind of infections and things like that. But generally, for most people, that's okay. case. But that's toxins so, again. That's toxins again, yeah. Tom and, Cruise would love what you're saying. It's one of the biggest toxins that Kate's often mentioned, sugar. That'd be yes. something to eliminate. So, so food so food is the, the source of many, many toxins for our body and our brain. Um, and so the, the first tip is really to eliminate the toxins. You can't heal or get better if you're still pumping your, your system with toxins. You know, it's either not going to work and you think, oh, I'll try this diet, I'll try this. Um, but you're not cutting out the toxins. So the first step is always take away the harm before you can build and start healing. So one of the things to cut out, so from a diet, from a dietary perspective, so cutting out um, uh, any processed foods, any sugar, uh, any kind of corn, uh, corn, starchy corns, uh, anything that comes in a packet, gluten, for some people dairy, it's a, really taking all of that out um, for a couple of weeks, just two weeks. And then let's see how you feel. Let's see what changes because uh, a lot of people can surprise themselves around just how great they may feel and how a lot of their problems are uh, kind of either reduced or go away just by, by, by limiting what they eat. So just an elimination diet for two weeks, um, as much as you can of those processed gluten, soy, uh, dairy, corn. Um, uh, uh, that'll be the first thing. Uh, if we're also thinking about eliminating things um, from a psychological perspective, you know, throwing your TV in the bin or just not watching news um, uh, or listening to the radio, that'd be a great thing as well. Um, I'm not anti-TVist. You can probably hook up your computer to it or something and make some use of it or put a nice painting, <laughs> uh, a painting image on it or, or, or something like that. Uh, so, so taking away psychological toxins, taking away physiological toxins, and then it's about, well, okay, fine. Um, how do I eat then if I take all of these things out? Um, well, it's looking at, uh, and th this is limited depending on people's financial situation. So you really want the best quality foods um, that you can afford. Um, and so the best quality meats that you can afford uh, and fresh foods. And you know what, what this means is that you're going to have to spend some time invest some time in making food rather than getting pre-prepared stuff. Yep. So, you know, if you're not ready to invest the time and the effort, you know, you're just not ready. You know, I'd, you know, I'd rather you not do anything than try something and think, oh, it doesn't work for me. Mm. You've not really had a, had a good go. So you need to be prepared. And that's where, you know, the mind is always about the mind uh, that comes first. Plan, fail to plan, plan to fail. Yeah. Well, this is what this is what the Bible talks about, uh, Doctor Ali. When it it talks about us repenting, repenting is a change of mind, and of course, obviously, it talks about lawlessness. But it's about a lot of things that we've been taught wrong that we have to unlearn and then learn correctly. And that kind of ties in with some of the stuff you're talking about here. Uh, you know, we've heard over the past three years now: trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. And you made mention of this a little while ago, and the Bible speaks to that too. Paul warned Timothy to be opposed to those who uh, teach what is literally pseudoscience. It's, fa it's false science. And we know that science, when you really break it down, is the study of creation, whether it's the study of the human body or the brain or uh, you know the organs or the creation itself, any of these kinds of things. We're basically learning God's thoughts after him, if you will. It is, are you seeing 
like what what we're seeing. Kate's called it out a bunch, but I'm just asking from your perspective: Are you seeing a lot of pseudoscience that's that's passing off as real science? And and is there is there more people that you can point to who have integrity who will say, "Oh, that's a good idea." They may not necessarily buy into what you're presenting, but they'll go. That's that's really interesting. I want to look into that. Are you seeing more people like that? Or are you seeing more people hunkering down and, and sticking with the pseudoscience? Well, another great question. I think I, I would just take a slightly different perspective of the, the term pseudoscience. Okay. I think Because I think what people are conflating are two different terms. Um, we're talking about science and the, the endeavor, uh, endeavor to learn and to find new knowledge. Um, if we can describe science in that general term and there's a, a robustness around the system or the approaches to to, to employ to get to that point um, but then also also consensus uh, and I think a lot of people conflate consensus the idea of consensus that there's uh, there's a critical mass that agrees completely on one way of um, viewing the world or viewing the, the the object of your scientific approach um, so you can have science, that gives you different ideas done in the right way. And in many ways, you'd expect science to give you that. Science is not something that we can say in a consent, like science just tells us one thing, one way to understand one thing. It's debatable, it's debatable isn't it? Yeah. It's fluid and it's ever, yeah. Exactly. So whenever we get to this reductionist approach that A equals B equals C, and there's no other discussion, that's not science. Um, that is the reductionist allopathic uh, uh, medicine that we have at the moment in the West that reduces everything down to a very simple, simple thing that involves some either surgery or, or drug along along the route. So I think the problem is not necessarily pseudoscience, um, but what we what we conflate science with and the role of science uh, and the idea of consensus, I think, is is a challenge. Um, not only in scientific arenas, but also uh, religious arenas. Uh, you know, what is the consensus? I, I think it's very difficult to kind of look back and say, well, that there's a consensus around this because most people believe in this. I, you know, I think science gives us that room for disagreement um, and um, uh, you know, different ways of looking at things. Um, but what I found is that, um, in my experience from the people in the NHS, the seniors that I've worked with, that they they take whatever science they want and they don't take other science that they want. There's a conscious effort. I see. You've made, your, you've made your mind up. How are you going to approach this? You're not open to new knowledge. Uh, and we could put that back to some of the d dynamics that we've spoken about before around why someone does their job and, uh, and, and the consequences of going against the grain. But uh, so I'll, I'll give you an example where uh, we had the chief um, uh, scientific, uh, the lead for science and research development in, our, in my NHS trust. Uh, and I was having some dialogue with him and I said, look, you know, give me a platform to try and give a different side of the science. Um, he didn't want to. Um, I then challenged him to say, look, I've got a few questions about these jobs and the safety and efficacy. Uh, can you answer them? He, he didn't answer them. Um, all he came back to me was saying it's safe and effective. Uh, so then I sent him a thousand medical peer-reviewed publications on raising 
safety concern flags around these jobs. Um, and I didn't hear back from him. So you, you can use science when it suits you. And I think that's what's happening. Um, uh, and we, we call that bastardized science. That's Dr. Kevin Corbett's term. I quite like it, bastardized science. That's exactly what's happening. Um, and, um, and that um, even if one has evidence to 100% refute what's being said, uh, you'll be cut off and they'll close that channel down, um, which is really, you know, exactly what <laughs> has happened. But, you know, even, even we talked about cancer, even the cancer industry, we, there's thousands and thousands of patients who are alive and well from following their own route. We've got one coming on the show, the, uh, the Angels Advocates coming on, uh, an international lawyer. And, um, and yet we have in this country the 1939 Cancer Act, which prohibits anyone from saying the word cure. Like I could go and lecture to doctors, nurses and pharmacists and say it, but not to a patient. And, and uh, even, even in the hospitals, they don't give the patients high dose IV vitamin C when they're having chemo because they say it, it, will in, it will stop the chemo working properly, but they're not offering it to these patients afterwards. So even though, uh, you know, you can, you can when, is it, when does it become actual evidence when you've got thousands and thousands? It's no longer anecdotal. But, uh, but yeah. I was reading one study with 92,000 patients, and at 10 years, just under 3% of them were still alive with chemotherapy only. only. But they won't allow, like likes of myself, alive and well 10 and a half years on, even though my consultant says you've done well and three peer-reviewed studies said, if I took everything on the menu, um, survival was 20% at two years, zero at five. They don't put me in the newspapers saying, look at this woman, she's done this, she's done this, she's done this. But they put a woman in the newspapers who's dying of bowel cancer, a dame, and, and how she's raising money for awareness on bowel cancer. But they don't want anybody to know, well, actually, you can take responsibility for your health and go and do this. They silence us. Yeah, I, I think the themes around informed consent, um, I think, are, are particularly relevant here that it's not the job of a doctor to tell someone what to do mm -hmm. uh, from an omnipotent, omnipotent perspective. Um, that you, you, you have, it's a collaborative approach that you, you, you're supposed to present options to your patients and then work with them to make a decision that sits well with them. Um, but, but all too often, um, it becomes quite an authoritarian dynamic where they're not allowed, the, are they? Yeah, they're not allowed. It, it doesn't, yeah. they're not allowed. And also the systems that we have here. So if you've got a primary care physician, you've got an appointment for seven minutes, you can't have a discussion. The system isn't set up to allow you to have to allow doctors that even want that. And I know lots of amazing GPs that they want to be able to do better, but they can't because they've only got seven minutes. Seven minutes. For consultation. Seven minutes. Seven um, minutes for a patient to come in, yeah. sit down, and tell the doctor what is wrong. Seven minutes. Yeah. I mean, how much? How horrific is that for both the patient and the physician? Yeah, yeah. and I think there's a lot of doctors that are suffering in in a sense that. You know, they feel stuck. They've trained and they're in this field and this area, but they just can't do what they want. So they do the best they can. And I think it does irk and weigh heavy on a lot of doctors um, 
when they go home. You know, uh, it's, 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 it's a difficult situation. There's something about the systems. Uh, you know, we can we can talk about doctors, but it's more, I think the bigger issue is the systems that that we're in that don't allow doctors to be doctors uh, mm. as well. Um, but it's about the informed consent. You know, it's about giving your patients options uh, rather than just telling them what to do. And it goes on this bigger picture of <clears throat> government. Government, they're supposed to be at nothing more than administrators that just ensure that the country runs in an optimal way. And if we don't, if they don't do a good job, you know, we'll get someone else in. Um, but there's, it's kind of expanded in a way that, you know, from being administrators and making sure the infrastructure is, is good and investments are good for the country, um, that they're actually infringing on your personal rights and telling you what to do and what you need to do. And, and it's been quite an insidious process, but that's what governments are there for, not, not to kind of cross this line. And, um, you know, so it's these, these reflections of these relationships and the life and the world around is all about relationships. Um, they, they're getting mirrored across the board. So none of this, we're talking about <clears throat> whether it's brain health, whether it's cancer, whether it's government, is in isolation. What we can see is that there's the same patterns of uh, uh, relationships that are being mirrored across the board. And food, uh, a relationship with food, a relationship with everything. Yeah. yeah. The, the me, <clears throat> let me bring something else back in that we were talking about before. We were talking about our thoughts and how we think. Of course, thinking rightly, <clears throat> and then also the foods issue. So you've you've got kind of two different things going on there. But I'm, I, it just hit me now. Um, I was thinking about David. You know, when he had sinned greatly uh, with Bathsheba, and then you know worked to set her husband up to be to be killed as well. This was kind of interesting. He says this in Psalm 32. <clears throat> Excuse me. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And then he talks about what he was doing during this period of time where, you know, after he had done the deeds, he says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. And then he says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. And one of the things, too, <clears throat> and we haven't really hit on, on this part, was when we do something wrong and we try to cover it up, we hold it inside, that's not doing our body any good either. Confession is a good thing for, for people. And I'm not talking about going to the priest and doing stuff like that. We have one mediator between us and God, the man Christ Jesus. But there there is something that's very healthy about us confessing our sins and uh, you know the things that we do wrong instead of trying to hide them. Would you say that's that's also something that you've seen in your line of work, Dr. Alley? Absolutely, I think. It's fundamental aspect of my line of work where people have the space to be able to um, talk about things that they either feel ashamed of or there's a lot of guilt. Um, and there's a cathartic element, um, like a healing element, in other words, of just having that space to express yourself, to get something that you've weighed heavy on 
uh, that's weighed heavy on you for years and years. And I've had some people that have held the things in for decades. Mm. And you know, I've been the person that they've um, opened up to. And it's not about me in particular, it's about just the platform that you give someone to do that. Sure. It could be anyone that would do that to. It doesn't have to be a doctor or, or someone like me. But, but, but if you find someone that you have that type of relationship with, or an opportunity to express yourself and to alleviate that burden, um, you know, it's very, very powerful. Um, and in many ways, the, the, the emotions are locked within the mind, but also the physical body, and that there's a release from having any opportunity along that. So there are certainly parallels for sure around, um, uh, you know, the, the kind of confession arena and uh, uh, the platform to, to talk about the things that are just weighing you down. You know, I think there's, there's lots of parallels and it's a key part of helping people, especially through trauma, mm-hmm. through traumas and the guilt around traumas. Um, um, it, it's very, very important. Yeah, yeah. Okay, look, let's uh, let's get ready to wrap things up here. And what I want to do is I want to give each of you like a final word to say and uh, exhortation to the audience or, you know, just a final summation of whatever you want to say. And uh, ladies first, Kate, we're going to let you go first. And then Dr. Ali, if you'll follow her, and then I'll close out the show. Thank you very much. And I have given Tim Dr. Ali's office in London. So you can all be beating a path there, uh, especially <laughs> go and tell him all your problems um, and get them off, get them off your shoulders and put them onto him. Um, British Nursing Alliance, please do join our Telegram group. It is a business uh, for all you little trolls. We are moving forwards with it. Um, I did have the meeting uh, last week and we are moving forward in other companies as well so that we can get some clean products, not just, you know, what you put on your body, but what you put in your body, because unfortunately, even the natural health industry can be very dirty. And uh, they're just adding to that toxic burden that Dr. Ali is talking about. Um, have a great weekend and um, try not to. Um, I, I loved it that Dr. Ali said, really, there's only two things that give you a headache. And one is toxicity and one is a, a brain injury. It, it really is that. And I noticed that when I worked in A&E. So your brain is um, it's a wonderful piece of kit. There's nothing else like it. So look after it wisely. Um, don't be heading footballs and being foolish with your head. Uh, wear a crash helmet if you're getting on your roller skates or your skateboard. Um, just look after it look after yourself and um big thank you to dr ali for coming on it was it's wonderful and it's for me that bit in the middle is the one bit that i've heard one doctor say now in the last two and a half almost three years and actually come right out and say it in one sentence we must get that to him <laughs> clip it and send it to me <laughs> okay dr ali i just want to Thank you. Thank you both for the opportunity. And it's been such an honor to speak to so many people out there. Um, you know, it's not something that you plan as a as a doctor to have these types of platforms. You know, you just do your thing. Um, but it is an honor to, you know, to, to be able to express myself, you know, to be true to myself and to find that that is helpful and beneficial for people. You know, it's a very humbling process. And um, I just want to say that you know, it, it's all within your hands. It's all within your your, your power, your control, and once you start taking those steps, it's. I think it's a. It's one of the laws of the universe. You take the first step, and then things change and things open up. And it may, it may not be easy or comfortable. Often it's uncomfortable, but that's where the growth happens in that discomfort. Um, so um, you know, I've mentioned some of the clinicians. If we kind of go back to the earlier part of the um, 
uh, interview um, Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. Daniel Eamon, Dr. Sherry Dr. Rogers. Dr. Eamon is incredible. You can yeah. find Dr. Eamon stuff on the devil's YouTube. Use the okay. devil's tool. And, and, and they're, you know, they're people that I look up to. They're people that have lots of information, accessible books, videos, uh, courses. Um, and, you know, I'd say do the work. We have access to so much information in a way that we've never had before. And a lot of good information, a lot of not so good, but just take the good. And if you're interested in any of the themes that I've spoken about, you know, try and access some of these. You know, these are amazing people, um, you know, and, you know, access resources and and just start from there. Just make the intention and just build from there. Um, and, uh, you know, I wish you a fantastic rest of the day. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be back on one day again if uh, uh, you know if you like absolutely and, uh, yeah absolutely. can i just add before you go yes please we, um you know when when it was my vision that we would take nurses back to what they would be the people's nurses and um and and i anyone who knows me knows me well knows i always do what i say i'm going to do it might take a while but i always do it always always do it and i stand by my word and that's a big thing you know you stay in truth people will trust you and um when I started this, my whole vision was the nurses would be on the ground. So when, um, you know, you come across a doctor like Dr. Ali, this is going to be great because we want him also to be somebody, somewhere where we can refer to and work with us and we work with, with him. And uh, this is why I'm starting to like snaffle and collect doctors because this, this all comes from an idea and we we don't have to totally trash the NHS. Absolutely correct. There are a lot of good people in there. Even the midwives, there's a whole big group of midwives that have come um, to me. And, you know, the chance to work with other countries as well, which have now been approached. But um, to create a system that is is of the people, for the people, is is uh, it's everything begins with an idea and a dream. And I think about it all the time and it's slowly coming to fruition. And I think when, when a system is broken, we don't have to keep trying to fix that. Um, people can do that if they want, but we can create something alongside. And competition is always a healthy thing. And the people will drive this. It will be the people trusting those that are in it, which will drive it. And um, I, I do hope that Dr. Ali will come on again. And I hope that he's going to be somebody. I'm going to go and meet him in the flesh now and sit in that chair, tell him all my problems. Oh, gosh, you need a long way. <laughs> got uh, years of a long day. Just make um, sure you yeah, get the video. Just make sure you get the video of you going out to your bin and, and pulling all that stuff out of the trash oh, and stuff. It just reminds me. <clears throat> yeah, inquiring minds want to see that. Uh, that's what's going on. <laughs> if you'll hang on, I'll say goodbye to you both off air. Guys, have a great weekend, a great Lord's Day. Again, get with the people of God. We've talked about this through here. We, we've mentioned the scripture. Get together. Worship the Lord together. And uh, read the Word of God out loud. It is powerful. It says so. It is. And uh, Lord willing, we'll talk to you guys uh, Monday at 6 a.m. And don't miss Bradley for two hours today at 3 p.m. Uh, until we talk to you on Monday, see ya.